Amen. Amen. Um, so we were singing that song. I was just reflecting on um, a text that's been rolling around in my heart and mind uh, that normally happens after, uh, as we usually go from one year to the next. And uh, I got the opportunity to share on it just for a little bit a couple weeks ago, Psalm 27. And that's not what I'm actually going to be sharing about now. But I just wanted to, by way of reminder, um, that to be in God's presence to have that type of opportunity is not something that we should take lightly. And that idea to, uh, we want to be after his heart. We want to be after his heart. And David says in Psalm 27, the one thing that he asks and seeks more than anything else, or basically is to pursue his presence, or he puts it this way, to dwell in his house all the days of his life. But here's the thing about pursuing God's presence. Really, in order for someone to pursue God, God must first have pursued the person. So in other words, the only reason why in Scripture David is called a man after God's own heart is because God was a God after David's heart. And I just want to invite you to consider for a few moments, even as, uh, as I um, kind of take a little bit of a turn, I think, to an application of being in his presence. Because when you come into his presence, I don't know about you, but the problems of this world, they don't go away. But I start to make sense of it. In the sense, not that I understand everything and why it's happening, how it's happening, but I understand my role in the midst of it. I understand how to re-engage in it. I have a new perspective having been in God's presence. And so even just to, re- to have us remind ourselves of that vital truth this morning, why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, God's pursuing you. God's pursuing you. Okay? So God's pursuing. The fact that you would not be here if that was not the case. That God is pursuing you, in you, in you, in you. Not so much you guys, but in you. I'm just kidding. No. He's pursuing every single one of us. And the fact that we're here, it'll help us know our role that we are to play in the midst of all of the world's problems that we are facing that are before us today, this week, this month, this next year. And I want to invite you to consider for a few moments this question. What is the biggest problem plaguing our world today? What is the biggest problem plaguing our world today? Let's take a moment or two and think about that. What is the biggest problem plaguing our world today? And I want to suggest to you that the biggest problem plaguing our world today is not the presence of Decay and corruption and division, although there's a lot of that. But rather, it's the absence of salt. I want to suggest to you this morning that the biggest problem plaguing our world today is not the pervasiveness of darkness, but it's the failure of light. And I want to turn to our next section in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus, I believe, provides the kingdom solution to the greatest problem plaguing our world today. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Familiar words of Jesus. We sing songs about them. We even maybe as a kid or Sunday school And maybe these kind of cute little metaphors and different drawings and different things that are maybe kind of crafted in light of of, of this passage. But this 
is a deep and a dense and a significant passage for us this morning. In Matthew 5, um, in cha- uh, chapter 5, verse 13, Jesus just spent outlining really the kingdom attitudes that we are called to have. That we are to be poor in spirit, that we are to, to be mourn, that we can that ones who mourn, that, that, that ones who are meek, ones who hunger and thirst after righteousness, ones who are merciful, ones who have a pure heart to see God, ones who are peacemakers, ones who, in living in light of those kingdom attitudes, will actually be persecuted. But it's here's the blessing that you will receive the kingdom of heaven for those that are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And then he says this. He says, You, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost, lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And then he says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill, it, it cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand so that it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So in this dense and rich passage, Jesus gives his listeners two affirmations to embrace and two warnings to avoid. First affirmation is this. He says, you are the salt of the earth. And the you here in the original language is emphatic. In other words, it's meant to emphasize something vitally true. I want you to hear that again. So talk to your neighbor and say, you're the salt of the earth. Come on, tell them. Like you believe it with some conviction. You are the salt of the earth. I love this about Jesus. Remember who he is originally speaking to on the Sermon on the Mount. He is addressing a crowd compiled of just simple, ordinary people who have gathered because their lives have been touched by the Good Shepherd. These are common people whom Scripture calls crowds or multitudes. He's also speaking to his disciples who were just simple, ordinary men called out from among the crowd to follow Jesus in an extraordinary way. Yet, to this group of ordinary people, Jesus affirms something extraordinary about their identity. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Notice that he doesn't say that you have salt, or that you're going to be salt. Or, hey, when I'm done with you, if you actually get the, the, the meaning of this message in the sermon, maybe someday you'll get to be salt. No, he says who they are. Power of affirmation, calling out from within some, somebody something they don't even know or maybe even believe to be true about themselves. He affirms them of their identity. He says, you are salt. Now, what does this metaphor, this rich metaphor mean? In the ancient world, salt was used to purify, to give flavor and to preserve. Often salt was mixed with sacrifices in order to present to the Lord a pure offering. Salt was used to season food as we often do today. Salt was also used to preserve food, things like meat, as in the ancient world. They didn't have a fridge or a freezer in order to to lock their fruit up or to store to keep it from decay. So I think we can see here really the practical application here. Our very presence flavors the environment in which we dwell. Our very presence is meant to flavor the environment in which we dwell. In other words, we are to actually bring out the best in others. You see... Salt, here's the thing about salt. Salt is only effective if it comes into contact with something else. 
by itself, it's, 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 it's kind of useless. It's meant to get out. It's meant to get, come into contact with things like food, right? I mean, think about it. When's the last time you sat down and had a nice big bowl of salt for breakfast? Okay, Ugh. that'd be gross, right? Um, that's, not, that's not the way it works. And, and yet seasoning food with salt takes discernment. Now you can ask my wife, I'm, a, I'm notoriously guilty for over-seasoning food with salt. That's why a lot of recipes, which I should probably follow them more often than I do, um, calls for a specific amount of salt. Because just a little bit makes a big difference. But too much, as you know, and as I all too often know, can ruin a meal. Because once you salt something, you can always add more salt. But once you salt it, it's hard to take it back or extract it back from the food. So just like salt is meant to bring out the best flavors in the food you're eating, our presence is meant to bring out the best Or in other words, to bring out the image of God in other people. It's meant to flavor the the environment in which we are living in. Salt also preserves. It protects the good things. It keeps decay at bay and it stops corruption in its tracks. Salt was such an important thing that a first century Roman leader by the name of Pliny said it this way, There is nothing more important than salt and sunshine. I wonder if Jesus perhaps had this in mind. He's, he's speaking to the crowd. They're, they're getting this metaphor in a new way. But then he gives them this warning. For as important as salt is, he says, don't lose it. Here's the warning. Don't lose your saltiness. Now, if you're like me, like wonder, how do you, how do you lose, how does salt lose its saltiness? How do you, what does that, what does that, what does that look like? Here, here's, here's one thing that I would suggest to you. We, we lose our saltiness as followers of Christ, when we fail to be distinct from the world. When we forget who we are, when we play it safe, and instead of salting the earth, we insulate ourselves from the world. In other words, we lose our saltiness when we stay inside the salt shaker. Saltiness and holiness go hand in hand. How are you different from the world And at the same time, how are you engaged in the world? Are you known more by what you are for or what what you are against? Do we avoid the places where there is decay and corruption? Or do we pour ourselves out into it? You see, in essence, our holiness ought to lead to others' wholeness. Let me say that again. Our holiness ought to lead to others' wholeness. It's meant to bring out the best in people. It's to call forth the image of God and others. This leads us to our second affirmation. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. I want you to hear that again from one another. Turn to your neighbor again and say, you, with even more conviction this time, you are the light of the world. That's good. That's good. Again, notice here that Jesus doesn't say, you have light, you will be light. You are the light. What is also striking about these affirmations is not just what what he's saying about them, but he's saying about the scope. In other words, you would think that Jesus would say to this group of ordinary people, you are the light of Galilee, where he was at the time, right? And where the people were from. Or you are the light, maybe even of Jerusalem, but of the world? There's something key here that it's really, really easy to miss and to overlook And we see it here in the progression and in the direction of these two vital affirmations. Notice how the salt was of the earth. 
different word, or land, likely conveying the very common and familiar places where people lived. Next, the light metaphor breaks out into the expansive sphere of the world to that which is unknown and uncomfortable. It is likely here that the salt metaphor conveys Jesus' mission to the Jews, that which was familiar, that he came first to the lost sheep of Israel, and that the salt and that the light metaphor conveys the expansion of his mission to the Gentiles, to the places in the world in which Jesus would never physically go, but that he would go through his people, being his salt and light through the power of his spirit. Now we know that this about light. It illuminates, right? It makes, things, uh, it makes things visible. It brings things into focus. Biblically speaking, light is often connected to things like truth, salvation, knowledge, revelation, and love. Light scatters darkness, helps us see, and makes things visible. John eight twelve, Jesus says of himself that he is the light of the world. Well, if Jesus is the light of the world, then he says here in Matthew 5, 14, that you are the light of the world. Well, which, which is it? Both. You see, for those that have been united to Jesus, when you follow him, his light becomes your light. Because the gospel has united us with him. So we are like light, called to illuminate truth, show the way of salvation, and reveal the knowledge of God's love. But we are also light in order to expose and dispel the works of darkness. But not in such a way so as to bring shame and condemnation upon others, but rather conviction. In other words, we are to be a spotlight to the Father, to show sinners that there is a savior and to reveal to the rebellious that there is a rescuer. But this is, comes the, sec, the second and the final warning. Don't lose your light. Don't hide your light. Sometimes I think we can be so excited about the light and we want to shine, we want to get out, we want to move. Uh, I, I likened it this way when I first gave my son, who's three and a half, a flashlight. He got all excited about this light that he had. And the first thing he did is he shined his sister right in the eyes and almost blinded. I'm like, no, 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 no. Okay, sometimes we can be like that. But sometimes we can hide our light. And here's the warning. Jesus gives us two ways we do this. First, he says, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. There is a broad, outwardly visible nature to this, speaking collectively as the presence of God's people within the world. In other words, what does the world see when they look at the church? Second, Jesus gives a more personal, intimate sphere of influence. He speaks of the presence of light in a home. He says that no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, right? We all know that song, right? Um, Hide it under a bushel. No, there you go. Okay, I'm gonna let it shine. Okay, we know that, right? But here's the thing. If you follow Jesus then you are a lamp that has been lit and you have been given a stand to shine to those around you. In other words, you have been, God has given every Christian a, a platform, a, a sphere of influence to those closest to them. Yet we can also abuse our light by comparing our lampstand to others, our level of brightness to that of others. Jesus isn't looking for the next Christian social media influencer to to record the next viral video. He's looking for the small, simple, and ordinary people to be faithfully devoted to an extraordinary God. This is why Jesus concludes with talking about the witness of our work. Our light is essentially the good that we tangibly do and say within a dark world. These good works involve our actions and words working together to spotlight our Heavenly Father, 
to illuminate his glory, his beauty, and goodness. So, beloved, today we are left with two affirmations, with two warnings, but with only one choice. And the choice that you and I have to make today is, are we going to take Jesus seriously? If we do, we will become part of the greatest solution to the world's greatest problems. That solution is, and what I believe the world needs most today, is the Spirit of Christ living through a revived church. Never before is the need for salt, does the world need us to be salt and light, and never before is there an opportunity for you and I to step into our identity that we have in Christ to be salt and light, to meet that need. So may we willingly step into the decay and to the corruption and the division of this world as seasoning, purifying, preserving salt, and may we courageously engage in darkness of this world as lights illuminating the truth of salvation and the knowledge of God's unending love. Beloved, this is our call as ambassadors of Jesus' kingdom. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray that as we consider these words over these next moments as we sing songs, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be like salt upon our souls, that you would purify us, that you would help us to walk in the fear of the Lord, that you would help us to step away from that which is comfortable and stop insulating ourselves and actually step out into the decay and into the corruption, into the division of the world as your salt. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would give us boldness and give us courage to shine like lights, to be, as you say, who we are, Jesus, the light of the world. So illuminate our hearts and our minds. And I pray, Father, for every single one of us that you would give us a specific application by the Holy Spirit of a person or of a place that you are calling us to step into as your salt and light. So Lord, help us now to sit back to receive for our souls to be salted and for our lives to be illuminated by your love. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Let's continue to worship together.